We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. Anyone who has spent time in Provincetown, Massachusetts is familiar with Trampolina. Wherever she is, the world is much more colorful. The person behind those cat glasses is my friend Kevin. I am excited to share my conversation with Trampolina and Kevin. So I want to know a little bit about Trampolina's life. Can you tell me about a, uh, a day in the life of Trampolina? The big things that I have to do are, of course, get ready every morning like this. Otherwise, I'm just lounging around the house. Make my cocktail. You know, there's a morning cocktail. There's an afternoon cocktail. And then there's a nightcap in the evening, which is just perfect. Now, if I don't have that nightcap, NyQuil does well. Okay. And it's yes. pretty, too. Of course it is. They have great colors of NyQuil, too. Yeah. What is Trampoline's um, social calendar like? Is it pretty oh busy? Gosh. Well, I'd like to say it's busy, but as a D-list drag queen, it's not really. No. But I hang out with a lot of popular people. It seems that way. You know, Misery McRae is amazing. Every once in a while, I get invited for bingo and just nobody else. You know, and I like doing that. I like being there for others. If I can do that, I believe at bingo, um, I attended one of the bingos that you hosted, and I think I actually won. I I know you did, and we have a picture of you. <laughs> There's a picture of the two of us. Yeah, and you were up getting me- oh, you're getting measured for raffles. I think I think we have like a boots to balls type thing going on. We had we had something, but I know that I won, and I ended up having to grab something up from under your dress in front of the entire bar. <laughs> And I was uncomfortable with that. As everyone should be. <laughs> it's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Well, I feel like in Provincetown, you were, I felt like you were out and about very often. Uh, uh, it actually, at uh, Tea Dance. Yes. Yes. I, I feel like you go to Hull Pride. I, right. I, I feel like you're in Hull a lot. Is, I love Am Hull. I imagining things or are you in Hull? You're not. <laughs> You are not imagining things. People yeah. listening to this, Hull is a town. Um, it's south of Boston, and it's on the shore, and it's a really cute little town. And you can actually take a, a ferry from Correct. Boston to Hull. And the ferry is part of our like our subway system. The subway system in Boston is called the MBTA, and the ferry is just part of that system. And it's, um, and it's actually the former location of Paragon Park which is an amusement park that I used to go to as a kid. Um, and it's no longer there, but the car- carousel is there. But we- and what was the name of the roller coaster, Ricky? So the front car said Comet, but that yes. was not the name of that was not the name of the car. Oh, it was called the Giant Coaster. The Giant Coaster. It was called the Giant Coaster, but if you see photographs of the roller coaster, oftentimes the front car says Comet. And that's because they actually bought they replaced the cars and they bought cars from a roller coaster that was called the Comet. And Trampolina, I have a roller coaster question for you. Do you know what happened to the Comet? Uh, to the to the to the uh, giant coaster? I do not. I know it was made all of wood, and towards the end there, it was actually shaking quite a bit as people were on it. 
People tell these stories to this day. Yeah. So the roller coaster was actually built, believe it or not, you're going to hear this right. It was built in 1917. Um, and it was, it had done a lot of modifications when the park was sold in 1986, um, an amusement park in Maryland bought the roller coaster and they rebuilt it and it is still operating. And it's I had called, no idea. Yes, it is. And I've been on it and it's called the wild one. And well, it, of is, it is and in the park is Six Flags America. So it's the Six Flags outside of Washington, D.C. Well, so why are you in Hull a lot? So it's just from some people that are there who knew about my escapades in Boston and Provincetown. And they needed somebody just to kind of be a little bit of color. And that's something that if I do anything correctly, it's add a little color, as you can <laughs> see. That is for sure. So I've been helping them now for the past, what, I think it's five years. Um, and we just do different events during the season. We raise money, but we also raise awareness. And it just adds a great positive vibe. Absolutely. That add a little trampolina to anything, and it just brightens it and heightens it. So one of the beautiful things was that as a young trampolina, I went to the beach often with my family, almost daily to Nantasket. And so I have a very personal connection to Hull as well. You must have used a lot of sunblock because your skin looks amazingly supple and smooth. It doesn't have any sun damage. Plaster of Paris. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Forget the zinc. It's all about plaster of Paris. <laughs> but that's my connection to Hull. And the people there are just extraordinary. I would so agree. they support the events. They've raised a ton of money. I've been pulled over by the police before, and they're lovely as well. Okay. I'm sure you can sweet talk them out of any speeding ticket. Well, I, I will say that after I got out of the car once, there was another officer just behind us, and I heard, whoa! <laughs> was your hair sticking out of the sunroof? <laughs> it was scrunched, as usual. <laughs> you know, Subaru is only that big. Oh, no. Yeah. Ribelina, what do you have going on next where if people want to come out and see you in person? Mm -hmm. Or if they want to see you online, right. what do they need to do? Uh, coming up the ski weekend in January. Let's cross our fingers. Maybe we can ski. The ski the ski weekend in Stowe? In Stowe, yes. Stowe, Vermont. I used to love going to that. <laughs> so well, it's my first time going into the pool swimming. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to see that. Yeah, I, may well, have to make, I may have to make a trip to Stowe just to see that. So does trampolina ski or snowboard? So Trampy does ski. However, um, I did not ski this past season, but next season, I'm ready for it. So are you concerned about your hair getting ruined by a helmet? Well, you may or may not know this, but Trampa uses, Trampolina uses some heavy-duty stuff in here. Okay. So I've actually been in a car going 60 miles an hour, and it still somehow comes out this delightful. It's amazing. Well, and I usually have to design it in a certain way. I make hair, big barrel curls, and secure them. And yeah, it's an engineering feat. Send me to Ford Motor Company. You are so talented. Have my moments. You're, you're both creative and technical. Thank you. All right, cool. So um, I think I'm going to talk to a friend of yours uh, next. Oh, how wonderful. So, yeah. So I think we love our friends. We do. We love our friends. So yes. um, it was great chatting with you. Likewise, Ricky. Be well and be an artiste. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, Kevin, welcome. So that was fun talking to, to Trampoline. I see uh, her wig is in the background. When was, um, so I know that you said that the whole, the whole Trampolina character started as a Halloween, Halloween costume. A Halloween costume gone, gone awry. You know, a Halloween costume that gave me a little bit of attention and I was like, I gotta have more. So let's you know, talk about so that. So to be very honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, you just did it, it as a, just a costume and where, tell me about the party and when this happened. Yeah, sure. So it was in Linfield, Massachusetts. Uh, and it was over to friend's place. They had a barn party. Uh, it was two levels, a lot of fun. A lot of great people from Boston were there. And I knew that it was going to be one of these big events. Uh, okay. In fact, the person, the gentleman who invited me was going to get a limo and, and really make a big deal about the evening. So I realized I had to do something bigger. And my friend Gary had just come up with a costume for the Martian spy girl from Mars Attacks. So that dates it back to like 1997 when we did this. And he was phenomenal in this outfit. But I saw the wig and I said, hey, that's a cool wig. And it was this bombshell, straight down, lilt up bombshell wig. A lot of fun, huge. Um, and that was the first iteration of Trampolina when she first came out. So when you went to a party as Trampolina, <laughs> you got a lot of attention. And so was this something, you had never yeah. experienced anything like this before? No, no. So there were, um, we were having a blast, by the way. and. I love to dance, as you know. <laughs> I love to dance. We were always out and about uh, enjoying that. There were these big hails of, bay, of uh, hay, and I jumped up on one at the end of the barn upstairs, and I just started go-go dancing because I was in this awesome outfit of blue and hot pink and white, and no one should wear white shoes after Labor Day, but I did. And it was just this very eye-catching uh, experience. And I um, so there was never any pretense that it was anything more than a lot of fun. And I recognized that that was the value of it. It was never anything too beautiful. Yeah. She was something to look at. And you always just had a respect for everyone and had a lot of fun with them. Yeah. And kept so it nice and clean that way. I think it's interesting that trampoline has been around for a while, you know, a long time and everyone is, is, um, familiar with her, but it's always like exciting to see her. And, and it's not like when you meet a new person, um, a fresh face, you're excited right. to see them. But at some point, it's just you see them all the time. So yeah. like the excitement wears off. But there's something about being in, in that character that yeah. you're always excited. You know, there's a little dopamine rush when I, I see trampoline <laughs> wig off in the distance and everyone's like, oh, trampoline is here. And I think that, why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's because I enjoy them as well. And I think it's a mutual thing. We feed off of each other uh, and we have fun. So there's never anything that gets in the way of that. And I think there are some queens out there who are amazing performers, uh, but, but it's all about the look and how they display that or what their performance is going to be. And I have the luxury of being the one that's out on the dance floor, watching the show, dancing on the dance floor and interacting. And that's what I love most. 
I, I find often that we don't do enough to talk to the people that are actually in the audience, find out who they are, where they are, why they're here. Uh, and those are the types of questions that I ask that I bet a lot of folks don't ask. You know, drag has become much, obviously much more mainstream with, yeah. um, you know, I'm assuming it's because of RuPaul's Drag Race. And, you know, the neighborhood that I live in, I live in Andersonville in Chicago, and there's, um, you know, we have a lot of drag performers at restaurants, and it's just, um, it seems to just be very mainstream. Um, I was dating someone who mm-hmm. had, you know, two daughters that were in high school, and, you know, all of them and all their friends are all watching, you know, RuPaul's Drag Race and, you know, rooting for, um, you know, rooting for people. So what's your thoughts on, you know, when you see people that are doing that, you know, that contest, do you relate to that or how do you connect with them? Somehow I, I relate to it to a certain extent because I've been in those proverbial shoes before. So it's not as though I haven't performed at all. I've done lip sync. I've done some, some stage stuff with trampolina. And I get that. I just think that they're extraordinarily talented. The, the level of, of sophistication that people put into their outfits these days, I think is far greater than what we've seen in the past. Uh, and there's just a whole new level of, of creativity in dress shops and shoes, in having everything readily available to you as well, because you can order it and it's there within either days or a couple of weeks. Um, I think that having everything online and having the ability to access that creativity uh, has, has really helped promote people to be something different and be unique. Everyone can be unique. But as you pointed out, RuPaul has just changed the whole game. I, I don't know what, uh, what type of drag queens would have come up if it wasn't for that show and, uh, and putting it out in front of people and saying, this is okay. One thing that I've observed, you know, when I came out in 1990, ugh, um, drag, I, you know, it was in Boston and drag was not a big, was not a thing there, really. Um, but then I moved to Tennessee um, the summer of 19, fall of 1990. I lived in Kingsport, Tennessee, and there was a wow. gay bar in Johnson City and drag was huge there. And also yep. I used to go to Atlanta on the weekends and drag was huge there. So it was kind of a, I feel like it was a Southern thing. Yes, I've been to St. Louis, Missouri and been to a drag show out there, of course, in Chicago, very, very different as well. And very beautiful drag queens uh, that are in each one of those cities that I had witnessed. And it was something to behold and it was something to attend. Um, and, and the respect that people had in the crowd for the queens, even handing them the dollar bills, it wasn't something where you threw the money at them. You extended and they received. And it was, a, it was something nice to see. <laughs> it, it's just a different experience. Um, why do you, why do you think, think drag, drag was, was big, was big in, in the South, South though, and it but it wasn't big, big in Boston? Um, you know, in like- yeah, I think that that has everything to do with what Boston is. Um, and Boston is so puritanical that... I, I think it was tough. Even myself walking around back, so that was 97 or so, I would question, I, I remember the first night going out and actually being on the street before we got into the limo that I was always looking around. You never knew who was going to come down the street or around the corner. It's still something that I'm very aware of, but much more confident with myself today. 
Okay. I just found it interesting that drag was such a big part of this small town gay bar. You know, Mm -hmm. Johnson City, Tennessee is certainly not the, uh, it is probably one of the more conservative places, trust me. And drag was like this big thing. So I I thought that was interesting. There were there were a couple of places, including Jacques, of course, even back in that time. Oh, Jacques! Is Jacques still open? Jacques is still open. Yay! I love Jacques. <laughs> so, Jacques was big for that. Um, you could see that at Buddies on occasionally, but but not as often. And while I never had the opportunity to see it, was it was play was it the Playhouse? Um, way Play- back Playland. 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 That's it. Thank you. Never went. Um, heard about. I've seen it in old pictures. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, there were, there was a different arc of folks that were there, and I remember seeing some images that way uh, in Boston. So I think it was more under the current. Yeah. And you know, even for myself, I didn't feel as comfortable until I met the Hat Sisters in mm. Boston, and the Hatties really made it that much more fun. And they were very similar in this respect: just have fun, be out there, be there for your community, especially when HIV was blowing up everywhere. Uh, they were there to do a lot of uh, benefit in, uh, events, especially for Fenway Health uh, at that time, Fenway Community Health. So they were bringing a fun awareness to things, and it showed a different side of light during a period that was very dark. Yeah. Uh, and, and I loved that aspect of them. I remember when I first saw them, might have been 96, um, and I had been to one of those Fenway men's events. Uh, and I was just taken back by how much uh, life they brought to that organization and to our community. Yeah, a big part of what you do appears to be uh, fundraising events. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. So um, anything, Harvard of the Bay is big with HIV. Um, Paul Pride is more community-based in bringing awareness. Uh, and down in P-Town, of course, you have the Swim for Life, uh, helping our women. So adding any type of life or color to those events that help others uh, is always a great thing to do. Now, I know we talked about the early 90s and all that stuff, but going back further, um, you shared with me that, so when I did my interview with Joe Adeo, the astrologer, Joe Adeo and I, uh, we spoke about this movie, The Queen, and you said that you saw that. So tell me about what you thought. You had never heard of it, and I had never heard of I this didn't. movie. So I <laughs> saw this movie and thinking, how have I never heard of this? So we need to make sure that everybody knows about this documentary called The Queen. So tell me about, I your, agree. Thoughts. <laughs> tell me about your thoughts on it. I, I, was, I was astonished. I had to go back and look at the, the title where they give you the information about the movie. And it said 1968. And I was born in 1968. So... And to see this, I was like, what part of our history have we missed here? Yeah. So let me just describe, let me just describe to everybody what this documentary is and you can correct me, but it's a, it's someone basically recorded a, in New York city in 1968, a contest of, were they calling themselves drag performers? Is that what the term they were using? I don't know that I ever heard anybody say drag, but okay. uh, but they certainly but, called. But it was basically yeah, it was basically dra- what we would call drag performers. But not only did they, um, it's a pageant. It's a pa- it's a pageant. But they recorded yeah. like in the hotel, like the whole weekend of them out of drag, right. just being themselves in gay men in 1968, 
And these were guys that came from other places, not just, they weren't New York City 1968 gays. These were guys that came from other places and other experiences from around the country at that time. And they just videoed the whole thing. So now I'll throw it to you. Correct. I believe that they were... Yeah, I believe there were winners in their own right, much like the pageants that take place today for uh, uh, around the country uh, for for drag performers, and that they all get together for uh, a master pageant that takes place every year. So uh, when you see like your Miss Gay USA, yeah, it's very much like that, and it happened in New York, and, and with some notoriety to it as well, from what we now know in the documentary. Um, but uh, but what an experience and an opportunity to view this. The fact that somebody had the presence of mind to record it, because you see even the differences in how I would get together for, uh, get myself together for drag and what's different about what they did and what I've seen other queens do as they're getting ready for a performance. It's, it, it, I found it very informative. What, uh, so I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. So you're saying the actual preparation what what about that was interesting to you? Yeah, that was different. I I don't know. It was it, it was the use of the makeup, um, eyeliner, like it was very divine like uh, that I noticed on many of them. Or they were just very pretty women, women looking. Um, some were a bit campy, more campy. Others were very pretty though. If you noticed, most of those contents, contestants were attempting to look like women. So there wasn't a lot of camp, but you could see some of the the design around the eye, I would expect out of Divine, just in a much more blatant way. Um, And today we have other queens that that design themselves differently, use different methods um, to cut an image, a shadow, a look, uh, and lighten and shade to bring out cheekbones, to to bring out their eyes uh, and do their lips. And it's something that I don't have to worry about because I wear glasses, so you don't, if you, you don't have to do a severe eye. Um, I wear gloves, so I don't have to do nails. So I am like Simple Simon drag queen. <laughs> uh, but I was just impressed by all the effort they put in uh, and, and picked up some tips from them that I might incorporate soon. <laughs> Are there other, other things um, that impressed you or made an impression on you about that documentary? Oh yeah, I walked away from the documentary actually shaking a bit because I felt um, I, I felt the tension of the time. I saw the looks on people's faces when they were following that young queen, um, Har- Harlow. Harlow was the winner, but they started with Harlow showing him and, uh, and he's walking through New York City. Quite disparaging that you can see the looks, the negative looks from the general New York community uh, against him because he stood out as being different in his everyday wear. So you knew that he was different. He was trying to carry a Warhol look and uh, there was just a very old fashioned like suit and tie or um, older woman in her bonnet type thing. <laughs> and there were double eyes out. And that's in New York and, City. And I thought these people that's dealt with something City. very different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it just, it makes you think that this was 1968 and then in 69, they had to stand for themselves. Yeah. And it was the drag community that kind of led that charge because they were fierce 
And if they obviously, given this uh, documentary, you saw that they weren't just fierce in New York, they were fierce everywhere. They yeah. had a lot of personality, these queens did. I also yeah. noted that they, a lot of them sang their own acts. So they didn't lip sync a lot, they sang. And it, there was no expectation that they'd be up there on a track, mouth in it. Uh, we saw some good performances and bad ones too in that documentary. You know, they were expected to really do something with themselves in that respect. So let's talk about you and Trampolina um, and your relationship with Trampolina. Is it always a good, a positive relationship um, or does it cause you any sort of distress or problems? Yes. <laughs> She's a handful. Um, so I, I'd say that anyone who does drag is going to run into that issue of somebody learning that you do this uh, and then you're skewed into one stereotype or another. And uh, I, I find some of the most creative people and, and very straight acting people who are drag queens. And then, of course, you find others that or not, so you get a mixed bag. Um, but she she definitely has run into the challenges of being judged that way. Uh, there's very few people that would like to date a drag, a drag queen, unless they feel very comfortable with it, uh, perhaps they're in theater, that type of thing, at least from what I've found. Okay, so there's a, there is a couple questions. Well, obviously there's, well, who cares, you know, if, if someone doesn't like you for all of you, then who cares about them? No one has, and just to be fair, no one has ever said that directly to my face. Um, and, and sometimes it's just something I'm, I might think I'm picking up on. So it is what it is. Yeah, you're probably, uh, and you're, you're probably right. Your point. The reason why I say you're probably right is I'm saying that because um, I know that you are a intu very intuitive person because I know you very well. So you're in, what I'm saying is your, intu your intuition is probably correct. So, you know, there's, there's one way to look at it that, you know, whatever, who cares? There's many fish in the sea. But then there's also, um, you know, why? So obviously this means that tra being trampolina is important to you. And it's causing, you know, potentially yeah. causes issues. So what, what is it about doing this that is so important to you? I just feel great when I leave an event. I feel great about the fact that I've had a positive impact and that it got people going enough so that they wanted to, you know, donate, donate more time, donate more money, uh, become more involved, see that if somebody steps up and does something, that it can actually make a difference and it can make change happen. And so it's those little things. It doesn't have to be every day or every week that I do that, uh, but whenever I can, it seems as though it has a positive outcome. That feeling that you get when you're leaving an event, um, have, you ever yeah. felt, have you ever felt that feeling in any other areas of your life? No, <laughs> no. I'm, and maybe that is part of it. I think it's an interesting point you raise. Uh, sometimes you get that for an accomplishment at work, uh, but you, Typically, those don't happen until you finish this long-term project and, you know, you see the results of what you put together um, come to fruition. Uh, so if you can do an event over a period of a few hours and see the outcomes right then and there, it's kind of this immediate high, maybe this immediate fix that you get. 
but but you're able to see what good it can do. What you describe reminds me of, um, you know, a lot of creative people that I talk to and obviously being a visual artist, I interact with a lot of visual artists and there is an experience that the artists get when they produce something and they put it out in the world and they actually get yeah. feedback on it. And it reminds me of what you just described because I know personally, you know, I used to be in work in large projects. So we would have large projects yeah. where there would be an output, but I would part of a, a big team. And of course these projects were successful and we would get accolades and that would feel good. But it's very different from Correct. when I create a painting and I put that out into the world and I get feedback. And it's an experience and a feeling that is very unique. And I think it's because, right. so one thing that's common between like myself and Trampolina is that this is something that you yeah. are, it's you. And it's you expressing a part of you or creating something and putting it out in the world, really not part of a team. You know, you, you, know, you are, but there's an element mm -hmm. of it that is just you. Um, the thing that's different about you is yeah. you're doing something that is so helping organizations. Like I don't, sometimes I give my, uh, a lot of my paintings I give for charity, um, you know, give them to like Fenway men's event and stuff like that. But that's not the same mm -hmm. as you, know. you being this creative being and creating <laughs> something and putting it out and being able to help. Well, Kevin, I am so happy for you that you have found something that brings you such sense of fulfillment and is such a, yeah. you know, a creative outlet and gives you that feeling that you can't get anywhere else because people are looking <laughs> for that. People, most people are looking for that and yeah. they, they don't, they can't find it or they haven't found it. And I'm very happy for you. <laughs> So I know that not everybody in your family is aware of this alter ego. So it's almost like, I was actually talking about you to people the other night. I was telling people that I was interviewing Trampolina and then I'm going to be interviewing Kevin. And they said that it sounds like Batman. <laughs> yes. So I guess That's what is a very it? Bruce? interesting point. It's like Bruce, Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, but I know that, um, you know, not all of your family members are aware of this uh, secret life or a little secret agent. Uh, so tell me, tell me about why that is and whether that is troubling sure. to you. So it, I think the biggest thing is that my parents are very traditional. I mean, dad is a firefighter, mom is a housewife and was a nanny for her family. Um, a couple of my cousins have figured it out, uh, and my brother is aware. I figured if if somebody if something ever happens to me, I, I've said to uh, to folks, make sure my brother gets there first because then he'll understand why all this is around here. And there's a lot of stuff, so <laughs> there's there's something to be said for uh, letting some people in, but I really don't want to offend my parents either. And so I've kept this relatively safe and, and separate. There's a reason why when I throw on that wig uh, and if I were to take it off, people are like, we would have no idea that that was you. And I'm like, good, because that means I might be able to fake out my mother um, <laughs> if I ever ran into her. I will say I, I, I took a funny event and really, it made me laugh for about 10 minutes. My, my parents were going to a 60s party uh, for this family that they know. 
and my mother needed this wild, like wacky outfit. She's like, I don't have anything. And I go, I know a drag queen in, in town that has an outfit. I dressed her up in one of my, <laughs> one of my dresses with an old wig. <laughs> and I, I had them pose up at the mantle in the house and it will be forever cherished as one of the most happy times I've ever had with my parents. Uh, Cause we all just started laughing hysterically. My dad was dressed like a pimp and my mother was dressed like Trampolina. And that just makes it all worthwhile. You know? So has anyone it's, ever um, challenged you on that fact that you are in the drag closet with your family? And you're um, so out so, and you're so out in about pride and all of the, you know, hull pride, pride events, but then you are not um, being out with your, with your family. A little bit, but no, I think everyone is fairly respectful that it's your own choice. It's your own decision, your own comfort level. And it always should be. And so if, if it isn't a bridge I want to cross with my family and I feel as though it's good to be separate, I think that's safe because it's, it's what's safe to me. Um, I think that's true even like with work and everything else. I keep everything very distant. Uh, and I've had occasions where some people have figured it out at work and I've just asked them respectfully, that's awesome. I'm glad you saw her and that somehow you figured it out. That's great. Um, I just keep this very separate from my professional life because it just wouldn't, I, I don't think it would be understood in the, in the kind of work that I do. Uh, so if it's more software related or project management related, that's, that's business. And I keep that over there. Uh, what I can do to help with organizations is also separate and distinct. I don't see the need to marry them together this time. Okay. So as I mentioned, I, you know, I think that you're very lucky that you found this thing that is so special to you and it's able to satisfy you like creatively. And I think a lot of people would like to find something like that for themselves. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you could suggest to people listening to this to find that special thing, hobby, activity, pastime that would give them a sense of fulfillment that they haven't found? How do, how do people find, find their own inner trampolina? Identifying those things and communicating with your friends, you know, what your interests are and like, what would be the next level? What do I want to try? How do I want to learn? about or educate myself um, to do something different or to become creative in a, in a different way. Um, so, so trying something new. Try something new, but also surround yourself with people who you trust, um, who are also going to help you be creative, uh, maybe help identify those different avenues that support you. I, I think that is what made me who I am in this role uh, and if it wasn't for folks telling me, I really enjoyed that, I liked it, um, you should try this. And being open to change and doing different things. Yeah, and I think that you and I, wait, I think we have the same birth, don't we have the same birthday? So I think, are you, yes, I think we do, the 12th or the 10th? Oh, I'm the 10th. I'm the 12th, uh, that's but, why. But I think that we, we have very similar personalities. I think that, um, I believe, are you a, a Myers-Briggs ENFJ? Oh my God, it's so funny you, you mentioned that. I just took the Myers-Briggs, because I'm sitting at my little desk. I just took an online Myers-Briggs, um, 
and I'm a, I, I didn't even read through the whole thing yet, so I apologize. But I'm an EN something something. It surprised me. It's changed, by the way. All right. It used to be an ENTJ. Okay. So I think that you and I have had this conversation. I thought that we were similar yeah. Myers-Briggs, but I know that we're very similar personalities. And the reason why I bring this up is when I asked you what your recommendation would be to people to kind of find their inner trampolina, it sounds like really what you said was connect with other people and, you know, yeah. and use others to sort of mirror, to get feedback and guidance. And I agree with that. Yep. I mean, I, I, that doesn't work for everyone. That works for me. I know no. that I am constantly connecting with others. I mean, that's why I started this podcast, you know, but I'm constantly connecting with other people um, to, you know, not just on the podcast, but um, with, when I want to do something new, I am connecting mm -hmm. with others because that's how I can see myself, how I can see what I'm working on in a broader picture in a new way. Um, for instance, I do this, um, you know, I have the podcast. When I started the podcast, I didn't know any other podcasters. So I was dealing with all of these challenges mm -hmm. and problems. And the only way that I could get help would be like online or on YouTube videos. And that's not enough for me. Right. So I actually started this weekly thing called Podcast Connect or something. I forget what I called it. But it's basically all the podcasts. As I meet them, I invite them to this thing. And we all just talk. I think week. it's awesome. <laughs> but that is because that is the way that my brain develops and grows. And it sounds like that's essentially what, how Trampolina developed, it's, it sounds like, is through other people. And the way it's that you are everything. getting yeah. the most um, fulfillment isn't just sitting home looking at yourself in drag. It's actually going out and not even just performing because I see Trampolina in action and Trampolina is interacting with people. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, it's it's part of my strength both as Kevin and as, as Trampy is um, communicating with others, interacting, and in big decisions or big changes, trying to reach consensus. Um, so while I, I don't mind making a decision, I love having people on board where we both get there together. I, I think it might also be kind of a background of typically Aquarians. We like to do that. We are, and, and so Joe Adeo must be on here at some point. So, <laughs> but typically Aquarians like to kind of get people together um, and, and move forward with everybody and expecting that everybody would move forward with them once you, once you come to a decision together. Um, yeah, I, I find that stuff great. <laughs> so Kevin, this has been wonderful and it was great obviously talking to Trampolina as well. If people want to learn more or if people want to book Trampolina or if whatever you want them to do, where do sure. they go? Uh, so uh, Trampolina is Trampolina Glenellen and she is located on Facebook uh, or you can connect with her at Instagram at trampyg1. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Ricky. This is great. My name is Ricky McGuckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.